now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Maggie Hamilton, author, social researcher, storyteller, and former publisher. Today we will talk about her book, Inside the Secret Life of Fairies. Maggie, thank you so much for being on the podcast and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's just lovely to be here. Maggie, you're an author and a social social researcher. That's almost like a tongue twister, social researcher. <laughs> You've held senior jobs in publishing and elsewhere. How did you go from that to fairies? Jeff, that's a great question. Well, actually, it was the other way around because I was actually born in the north of England in the 50s. And it's only as I look back, I realized that I was very privileged to be at the end of a long tradition in the UK of people who lived extremely close to the earth. And by that, I mean those who had a deep, almost mystical relationship with nature. And these were the old people who I grew up with. Um, you know, these were people who would talk about um, old, older family members who'd passed over, who would come and visit them at night, not in a scary way, but often to reassure them or offer a piece of advice. Um, where it was common to go to the graveyards and scrub the gravestones of those who passed over in the family and to be sit and be told about these people so that they didn't feel as if they were separate. And the other aspect of it, uh, which is the fairy aspect, is to be very clear that nature is something that is a place of wonderment and also one that demands our respect. And there were places we were not to go because that was known as the place just for the fairies and that that had to be left intact for them and all sorts of stories of um, fairy figures and magical things having, having happened on that land over previous centuries. So growing up as a little girl, this never seemed strange to me. It was only kind of when I, you know, kind of went off to uni and ended up living in cities and a very different life that I realized that what I had had access to wasn't something most people did. And for a long time, I let that go, Jeff. But I found even though my everyday life was successful, it was kind of like my soul was aching. And that's when I started to reconnect with nature and where the whole fairy thing started to come alive for me personally, rather than it being just a tradition that had a precious tradition that had been passed down to me. What about elves? All of those things. And in fact, what I have come to learn, and I, I will share some of the experiences that um, I share in the book, is that the whole fairyland, Jeff, is actually peopled, peopled, if we can call it peopled, by a whole range of beings. It's like a vast ecology that is as diverse as our own uh, ecology that we understand in everyday life, that there are literally hundreds of thousands of different other beings that that live in nature. So, so this all kind of sounds 
dare I use the expression, a bit airy-fairy. What I have come to understand this as is the spirit in every living thing. We know at the quantum level um, of existence that we it is a dance of atoms and we are part of that dance of atoms. And so there is nothing inanimate in our world because everything is made up of those very alive atoms. And what I've come to realize is that we all have the capacity to tune into the tiniest plant, a little weed, a ma magnificent tree. In your part of the world, the beautiful saguaro, cacti, whatever it may be, and, and communicate with the living essence of that plant. And in fact, or tree or cacti, there's not a person on the planet, Jeff, who has not had profound fairy experiences which will surprise everybody. And I'll tell you why in a minute. <laughs> so you're not defining fairy as a winged being like Tinkerbell or Peter Pan. It's more like an elemental or yes, some yeah. type of non-human intelligence, even including plants. Yes. So they're the caretakers of the plants. They are the kind of living spirit that that enables that plant to live and grow as it were it's an intelligence now that sometimes those intelligences sometimes do make themselves seen as in winged beings but often they're not winged beings and particularly you know here I am living in Australia now um, the indigenous people and also friends of mine who've had extraordinary experiences in our forests have met beings that don't have wings, that don't look like t Tinkerbell at all. In fact, look more like a, a Yowie's kind mm. of. Yeah. So if, if, if I could just explain perhaps, which would help everybody, I think, we have all had fairy experiences. We've all had experiences of this, the essence, the living beauty and essence of nature. And, Jeff, we have that every time we are in nature and we have those heart-exploding moments. And it might be when we just see a, a bit of dew on a leaf. It might be the colour of a flower. It might be the vastness of a, a desert landscape and something inside us explodes with recognition, with um, with an ecstasy, and it might only last a nanosecond, that I am convinced is when we actually are making contact with the living essence of a place or a plant or a tree, although we might not recognize it as that. We just see it as a moment of inspiration and off we go. Um, and so these beings are there to care for whatever plant or tree that they are resident in, uh, for want of a better expression. Why do they make contact with us? They make contact with us to heal a part of us because the more whole we are, the more we're in a position to understand our connection to all living things and help take care of them. So there's a very practical reason for that. Mm. Um, and But if I could just explain, these moments happen at any 
any time. And I remember a few years back, I was lucky enough in, in um, I was working for Random House uh, in those years in Australia here in Sydney. And I was lucky enough to live in a, uh, to work in a building that was right next to the Harbour Bridge. So, you know, fantastic location. And I'd rushed out one day to get a sandwich and went and sat, there's this beautiful rolling grass down to the bridge and I just sat down to have a hurried sandwich and then get back to work. And there were mums around with babies, there were other office workers, there were dogs, you know, so I wasn't alone there. But as I sat on the grass, suddenly I can only describe the experience as kind of orgasmic in that the green of the grass was more green than anything I had ever experienced. And the electricity flowing through my body, it was as if I'd put my fingers in the cosmic light socket and that I was ex suddenly I realized I was experiencing the life force of all those single blades of grass on that lawn. And this is what I mean about connection. It doesn't have to be little winged creatures or big winged creatures. And I think this is where we often we lose our way because we're looking for that instead of realizing that nature reaches out to us, the language is beauty. And once we understand that, when then we can start to have a really profound connection with all these living spirits of the land and of every green living thing we see around us. As I say, it can be a little weed. Um, and that experience I had, it, it might have lasted five seconds, ten seconds, I couldn't tell you, because when we enter into the space where these beings live, we lose time, Jeff. Our, our senses are heightened beyond every day. In that case, for me, it was the green of the grass. Um, and these are two very big signals that we have, in that moment, we have slipped into another dimension of life, which is more alive than we experience in everyday life. But once we start to understand that path, we can access that at will for our own health and healing and for our reconnection with all living things. In that experience that you had, do you yep. feel that the grass or nature or Gaia revealed itself to you and caught your attention? Yes. Or do you think that you somehow raised your energy that day and happened to notice? I think probably both happened. Obviously, the raising of my energy was something I think I did um, unwittingly. I think Gaia definitely reached out to me, as she does to every single one of us every single day, thousands of times a day. And this is a sad thing, I think, with where we're at, Jeff, is that we are so disconnected. You know, we, we dash off to the train station and we've got, you know, we've, we're not in silence, which is one of the big things. We've got to have silence to, for Gaia to talk to us. We've got our headphones in. We're looking at our phones. It is so hard now 
for Mother Nature to reach out to us. But when we start to practice a little silence, astonishing things can happen. And um, I was giving a talk on the book a little while ago, and this wonderful young school teacher um, came up to me afterwards and um, she said to me, I now realize I've been experiencing these things all my life, Maggie, and I didn't know what it was. And we've stayed in touch. She's a brilliant young woman. And she emailed me one day and she said, I just have to tell you this extraordinary experience I had. She was walking past a telegraph pole and and the wood actually communicated with her about the job it was doing for us. And she said, I was so moved to realize that I have the capacity to be in connection with all living things. Now, that might seem a bit strange, but I'd just love to share an experience I had with a druid some years back. He came over from the UK and a wonderful fellow called Ivan Macbeth, who sadly is no longer with us. And um, I, I'd arranged to meet him in the city. And um, when I walked up to Ivan, I knew who it was immediately because he looked like this giant oak. He just had this... I've never met anybody who's so connected to the earth in the city space. You know, I could almost see the oak tree in his being. It was the most wonderful and strange experience. Anyway, long story short, he builds or did build standing stones around the world. And he called them ancient technology and that they were there for the healing of all, for the people who would gather there, but also that they were like um, a transmitter of vibrations out to nature around them that was very healing and, and calming and nurturing for that whole, you know, for, for however far that vibration um, radiated out from the standing stones. And he was telling of us of what he was telling me of this particular day. Um, well, I suppose it was a few weeks when he was building this new standing stone set of standing stones somewhere on the planet. And he said he'd go to the quarry and he'd choose the stones. And obviously, these were massive stones because they were each a few tons each. And they would put them in place as the ancients did, which was on a series of wooden rollers. And he said all the stones went into place where the holes had been dug for them except this one stone. And just, I mean, massive stone, it would not budge. And one of his students said to him, perhaps we haven't explained clearly enough to this stone the sacred purpose that we want of it. Should we all meditate and just explain to the stone what it is we are asking of it? And Ivan said, I, you know, he, he was a bit embarrassed, <clears throat> pardon me, leading the group. He was a bit embarrassed. He hadn't thought of that himself. So they did this. And he said after they'd meditated, he said the stone almost took off of its own volition into place. But then he said something really beautiful. He said, you know, Stones are very shy beings and we ask a lot of them to be standing stones where they are very exposed. In a sense, they can no longer be shy. But he said, 
the beautiful thing is once they know that is for sacred purpose, then they are willing to do that for the good of all. So what is the role that fairies are supposed to be playing? Great. So the role of fairies is to care for all living things and really to keep Gaia, keep the planet healthy and wholesome and also to work on the the connection of all living things, to work on the web of life, to keep it in connection. And so my belief is that, that, and in fact, when trees die or plants, that is when the spirit of the plant, the fairy of the plant, if you like, has withdrawn because it is time for that, um, that life form to die. Um, and their other job is to attempt to bring us back into connection so that we can be useful on the planet as well. So this is all about connection and healing. And this might sound a little bit out there, but we can start to develop a relationship regardless of where we live to nourish the spirit of the place we live in so that we are assisting these beings. And how can we do that? We can do that by nourishing the people around us, by nourishing and taking care of the land around us. It might be a tiny garden or whatever. And love is the key, lovingly doing those things. Um, But can I also mention, Jeff, about fairyland? Because this is something that people are very fascinated by. I have a friend here who's a ranger in one of the local national parks. And he has spent a lifetime in this park and knows all the sacred places, including First Nation places. And I've been there um, in the middle of the night with him and a group of other people. And what he does is he takes us, to places where we can cross over. And you can tell when the crossover places are coming because the climatic situations there defy normal logic. For instance, a wind can be blowing and the mist starts to rise. And normally you don't get mist with wind. And what happens is that place you're at suddenly becomes a mottled place. So it looks a bit like, um, you know, combat gear, that kind of, um, that has different colours of olive shades that guys wear in combat. Mm -hmm. So the world... Camouflage, yes. And then the vibration changes again to become a sylvan world where everything starts to take on a sylvan quality and one starts to see little beings there. Now, the interesting thing about it, Jeff, is that we have not moved locations. We have purely shifted vibration. So the trees that were there in the mist are exactly the same trees that have become the mottled trees 
and then the sylvan trees. And the reason I mention this is because we always think that the wonderment of those worlds are somewhere else. They're right here amid everything we're doing. It's whether we're meeting them at a sufficiently higher vibration to be able to make contact. And the way we do that is by loving intention. Love is the bridge. Now you mentioned crossing over and he took you to a crossing over point. Yes. Does that mean crossing from this 3D world into their world? Yes, it does. And how do you do and, that? Well, in in that case, um, Bob has been, he's, he's been, um, involved in the parks forever and he knows those places kind of like portals that make these things easier mm. so that's what he was connecting us to but what I've found Jeff in my own experience is we can do it by loving intention we don't need to be in places and portals because a lot of us don't know where these portals are we do get clues from ancient literature which is crossroads, caves, etc. And these are called the in-between places. They're the police places that are neither quite here or there. There are in-between times of the day, which is dawn and dusk. But I've found I don't need to use those and in working with people Jeff it is loving intention and there's another part to it as well without expectation so we do not burden the spirit of a place or a tree or whatever we do not burden it with our expectation that it's going to be x y and z we open ourselves up to the highest possibilities in love that some possible communication or experience can take place. Do fairies have gifts and or messages for us? They do, Jeff. And um, again, it is about sometimes they will come to us and, and we will get that message, particularly when we've started this work. But if we're starting out, what I would recommend is to spend spend some decent time even if it's only quarter of an hour it doesn't matter the length of time it's the quality of time in a local park you know if we're living in a city or a local nature place wherever we are and start to really take note of that place in detail it's like when we fall in love with somebody, you know, we start to notice their hair, their smile, the glint in their eyes. But we're trying to do the same thing in nature, again, asking for the highest possible experience and without expectations so that the spirits of those place, places, the fairies, the caretaker fairies, can reach out to us perhaps with what we need rather than what we want. And as we spend time in that park or wherever, we may find ourselves particularly drawn to trees. It could be a bush, 
It could even be a flowering plant that attracts us. And we then start to build up a relationship with that tree. Now, most people don't feel comfortable hugging a tree, but there's nothing to stop you going and sitting against that tree and starting to have a communication. And the way we do it is telepathically. And what I just simply do, Jeff, I ask, what is it I most need to know in this moment? And I might get an image in my head. I might hear a little phrase. And what I have learned is that even three or four words can be so, so powerful. Just before COVID, I got the message, rise, ride the winds of change. And I had a couple of people with me and they said, oh, Maggie, your life must be going to change. It sounds like there's going to be a dramatic change happening. Do you know what it is? I said, I have no idea. I, I had no idea that COVID was around the corner. But those four words have really helped carry me through the whole COVID time. You know, those moments when I was feeling down, I'm reminded, no, I have to ride the winds of this change and not get bogged down with feeling sorry for myself or whatever. Um, so there's a profound connection to be had there, Jeff. So how is it that we might be seeing fairies and not even realizing it? I think it's because we've lost touch with the mystical side of life, which is just another way of saying that life is a dance. We talked about the dance of atoms. Our lives should be like a dance. And sometimes we get glimpses where we understand a bit more of the picture. And sometimes we just have to walk through the darkness without understanding what's happening. And sometimes we just have to live with the mystery of what is around us and wait patiently for it to reveal itself to us in some way. And there's beautiful ways we can work with this. For instance, and of course this is what First Nations people do naturally because the spirit of place and the spirit of plants and trees are part of a bigger picture, which is the presence of creatures in our lives. And, you know, even if we're living in a city, we notice a certain bird. And the fact we've noticed that bird probably means it has a message for us. Um, and then we go home and we can look up on the net, you know, what. I mean, most of us are not going to see bald-headed eagles in the city, for example, but let's say we did see one and we look up what the meaning of that is and from that we realise what the message is for us. But with our plants and trees, we can find out what the healing nature is of that. So if we're out in summer and we see a certain flower and we're drawn to the vibrancy of violet, and it's, it just really captivates us, then a communication has taken place with that color, and we can go home and look up on the net, what does the purple signify? If we know the name of that plant, we can look and see what the healing essence 
of that flower is. So even without taking a healing essence, we have had a transmission in that plant with it bedazzling us in that moment. And we can go home and see what their message of healing or hope or inspiration is from that little plant to us. What about when you're in physical locations that are mesmerizing, like standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon or yeah. on a high yeah. mountaintop during fall season and just seeing the myriad of colors of all the trees or in the Caribbean Sea, seeing the crystal clear blue water? Is that the same thing? It's absolutely the same thing, Jeff. And what's happening in these moments is we are being communicated with. And remembering that the fairies, the spirits of all these things, of the waters of the Caribbean, the spirit of a mountain, the very fact we are awestruck by being in that place means we are having a communication we are having our vibrations lifted to meet the beauty of that place, to drink it in, to allow us to be a bit more whole. But in these moments, it's the perfect time, um, particularly, pardon me, if, we can, if we're with others, if we can just perhaps wander a little way down the path, and, you know, I'm only talking a dozen steps from the others for a minute, and just closing our eyes and going into that meditative space and asking, what is it in this moment I most need to know? Or first of all, thanking the mountain presence and honoring it for its beauty. And then asking, what is it I most need to know? We may be lucky enough in some of these places to actually see the spirits of mountains and so forth. We were, um, not long before COVID, we were in Morocco and we went out into the Atlas Mountains, which are quite remote, over to the Sahara. And um, those mountains, you could see the spirit faces in the mountains. They actually revealed themselves. And... Um, I think it's because, you know, I've been doing this work for a few years. And in those moments, what I say is, I see you and I hear you. So what I'm doing in that moment is honoring the spirit of that place. And then when we got to the Sahara, I almost cried. The magnificence, you know, it's like this deep red carpet of sand going for well, hundreds of miles, it, the, the, the power of it just takes your breath away. Um, and again, it's taking a moment to honour the spirit of that place, the living spirit that takes care of that vast tract of desert. And then we may have something that is troubling us perhaps where we ask where we say, I'm, sorry, I'm sad about this. What wisdom can you offer me? So every time we're in nature is a profound opportunity 
to really connect, Jeff. And what I've found is living in the city, because, of course, most people on the planet, well, a, a large proportion of them are now living in the city, is we can start to ensoul the city. And we all have places in our cities that we love. For me, it's old graveyards. I love old graveyards. Here in Sydney, there is a little chapel in one of the churches, which is an angel chapel. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. That is one of my sacred places. And sometimes I go there and sit with the spirit of the chapel, um, the caretaking spirit of that chapel. You could say the fairy spirit of that chapel. And there's a particular beach I go to which has vast fig trees that look like something out of the old fairy storybooks. And when I go to that place, no matter what time of year I go, I always come out lighter and I love to go in winter because often there's only half a dozen people there. And I got talking with an elderly lady one day at that place and she said, I see you a lot here, Maggie. She said, you really love this place, don't you? I said, yes, it's kind of one of my sacred places. And she smiled at me and she said, you know what the Aboriginal people called this place? And I said, no, I don't. She said, they called it, they've called it the healing place. So, Something in my soul was attracted to that vibration to go and experience healing. And so the places that are sacred to us are actually holy places for us. We don't talk much about holy these days, but holy is what makes us whole. That's all it is really simply. And so if we go knowing these places are holy to us and are places that create wholeness, we honour the spirit of the place when we get there, we partake of its nourishment, and then the magical bit is we can actually ask that the light and the healing properties there be expanded as we leave for those who come after us. So we grow the sacred possibilities of that place through our intention and love. Do you think in times of paganism, we were more connected with the earth and with the adaptation of the major religions, we've lost that connection? I think that's right, Jeff. I mean, I think what's interesting is when you look at some of the churches and practices in Europe, um, and in places like Ireland, what the people did, particularly the women, um, they actually carried those practices on and they, um, they embraced the mystical possibilities of the new religion as well. Let's say it was Catholicism. And a girlfriend of mine was staying in a tiny village in Italy quite remote and a mountain village and um, the old women would tend the Catholic church and they were great, um, you know, they, they would adore Mary and honour her, her presence amongst other things. But once the villagers got to know her, the elderly women, they took her up to this little sanctuary way up in the mountains where they honoured the spirit of the mountain and all the spirit of the creatures who lived there. 
And so what's been very fascinating, and if we look at the Sufi tradition, that is very much a, which has come out of Islam as we know, that has very much got the elements of the mystic in it as well. So, um, but in terms of that core love and care of nature, very much so in, in the pagan traditions as we understand them in the West. But of course, before that, and continuing from that, because we were all First Nations people once, it is also our First Nations people through their shamanic traditions that honour the spirit of place, the spirit of rock and water and um you know, of trees and so on. Um, and that that is kept very much alive in the shamanic traditions today. Um, you know, those that have been kept pure and have practiced for the good of all and not just for, you know, selfish ends. You tell a number of people with abusive childhoods have been comforted by fairies. Why yes. is that? Well, this is a lovely thing that that happened um, as I was doing my research for the book because what I wanted to do, you know, I'd had my own many experiences over the years, but I was equally interested, if not more so, in other people's experience. And as people started to talk to me, this was a thread that I had not been aware of. And as you say, it was people who'd grown up in abusive households or neglectful households where um, they had spent time in nature as a way of, you know, dealing with their sorrow and fear and all those things, neglect. And in every case, they did have a figure who came to them, a physical figure. One person I spoke to who's a psychotherapist, she had, um, and she'd grown up in a very privileged home, but you know, as often is the case, neglectful in other ways. Um, she had a golden lady who would come appear in a certain part of the garden and comfort her. Another person, Douglas, who's actually my uh, father, who's no longer with us, he used to see fairy figures and they would comfort him um, about he, he had no father and, you know, grew up in the Depression where things were pretty tough and he was comforted by these little fairy figures. So I think there's a couple of things happening with that, Jeff. First of all, children, of course, it's getting difficult, more difficult now as kids are spending all their time like battery hens inside on devices. But if, if for children who are allowed out in nature, even if it's only playing in the garden, um, and certainly in former generations, spent a lot of time in nature alone. And children naturally have an affinity with all living things. They arrive on the planet connected to the web of life. And so it's no difficulty for them to have fairy experiences often. So the communication is already there. And, of course, the job of fairies is to heal disconnection. And so for children who are already experiencing disconnection, um, hurt, then the fairies are there applying their healing presence and wisdom to these children. 
Um, and what one of the things that was interesting beyond the children who'd lost, um, you know, had difficulties with, with pa cruel parenting or whatever, was the adults that I interviewed who'd had fairy experiences, many of them of whom had seen fairy figures. So I'm certainly not saying you don't see them, but I'm encouraging people not to think because they haven't seen fairy figures, they have not had that connection experience. A lot of people who did see the fairy figures, actually when we went back, and I interviewed people who were scientists, mothers, artists, people from all walks of life who'd had these experiences, in nearly every instance they'd had a childhood where there was quite a lot of nature. So in a sense it was second nature for them to connect with the living presence and spirits of nature, if that makes sense. I had a guest who was riding his mountain bike through the forest, crashed yep. his mountain bike, knocked unconscious, had a near-death experience, and when he regained his consciousness, he was lying on his back on the ground and saw fairies for a little while. Yep. What is your opinion of that? Well, I think the scientific thing would be that, you know, he was, he was experiencing concussion and he was hallucinating. My take on that would be that they had probably drawn close to him to reassure and calm him and to offer some of their healing presence in that moment. Um, that would be my take on on what he was experiencing. What was his take on it, Jack? I think he believed that he saw fairies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And... Again, it's this thing that when we believe that fairyland is off some other place, we deny ourselves the opportunity that these moments of connection can happen at any one time. And not all of the fairy experiences are um, necessarily what we'd want or, um, or seeing figures that are, um, you know, pretty little fairy floss type figures and again my friend Bob who I was telling you about who's the park ranger who's he's really like a shaman he's a he's a very deep and interesting man I haven't seen it but on a number of um evening late evening trips into the uh forest he has seen a yaoi um and it's like a big hulking figure that's at least six foot, probably more, and quite solid. And that's in a different part of the forest to where we were. And he said he always advises people that if they see this figure, they're not to become frightened because these beings, of course, are much more sensitive to energy than we are. Um but he said they're not here to harm us, but at the same time we are kind of trespassing in their neck of the woods, as it were. So anyway, this particular night he took out a nephew who'd been who was working in IT, who'd been having some various personal issues. So Bob felt a walk in the forest late at night would be a good idea. And as they were walking, one of these Yowies kind of crossed their path. And this young guy, he was about 28, totally freaked. 
and the Yowie came running towards them. And my friend Bob, who's also six foot something, pushed his nephew off the path and he did two things. He said he just reached out in love to the Yowie but, and he also started to laugh and he said, I laughed to lighten the energy of fear. Anyway, this Yowie picked Bob up, who's, I say, is six foot something, and threw him into the bushes. Mm, wow. And it didn't hurt Bob, but it was just like, you know, you're in my space and I don't like the energy you're bringing here. And later when Bob was talking to local indigenous people, they kind of went, yeah, 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 the Yowies. Yes, we know about the Yowies. And this is what I mean at the beginning when I said uh, what I've come to appreciate is that the, the, um, there are many, many different forms in the fairy world, in that dimension, just as we have such a huge ecology. And an elderly healer I was talking to for the book, she was telling me that she went to the Bungle Bungles. Now, this is in West Australia. It's deep in the desert, and there are these wonderful towering rock forms, not as dramatic as arches in your part of the world, but um, still pretty pretty um, impressive structures, and they're kind of a dark reddy brown and it's it's a very crusty looking rock because of course Australia is such an ancient land and would you believe she saw fairy folk there and um they were they all looked like pieces of rock this rock with the colors and the arms and legs um they had arms and legs but they they actually looked like bits of rock with arms and legs so if they'd sat on the rock, you wouldn't see them, if that makes sense. Now, when you say yowies, I think we consider those Bigfoot. Are they the same thing? I would say so. A, lo- a local version of it. Mm-hmm. And, and interestingly, the bay below that part of because it's a very big park, um, is actually called Yowie Bay. What do you know of vortexes, like what is reported in Sedona, Arizona, and possibly yeah. in the forest of England? And do they have anything to do with fairies? I think, absolutely. I think there are certain doorways and energetic places where it is much easier to cross dimensions. And the wise ones in all the various cultures, whether it's shamanic cultures, whether it's pagan uh, cultures. Um, you know, my friend Ivan, who I was telling you about, who do, does uh, did the, made the standing stones, um, those peoples know those places of power mm-hmm. and they they would often use them but would use them very carefully because, of course, you know, these, in a sense, are, it's late. It's it's power that's there that's neither for good or bad, and but they would be very careful about who they would reveal this to, so that they were always used for 
the good not just of oneself but for the greater good, for the tribe or whatever. And so there are absolutely these um, places of power. And I had a very interesting experience a number of years back, um, which isn't strictly a, a fairy experience, except that it is about the spirit of the land. And that is, I was uh, driving through a part of town and there's a very busy crossroads. It's in an old part of Sydney. And it was a very hot summer's day and it was late afternoon, you know, when the sun gets that kind of golden quality. And I'm sitting at the traffic lights waiting for the lights to change and suddenly I'm in exactly the same place but I'm actually a girl and I felt like I was an Aboriginal girl standing on sand dunes. Now this is about three kilometres from the sea and I could feel the wind in my hair and I could feel the sand beneath my feet and I could see the spinifex grass there. And then I'm back being my, you know, back in the car and the lights change and off I go. Would you believe I now live um, about five minutes from that place? Mm. And um, it was a, a kind of light industry part of town and they've now built a few apartments here and I'm living in one of those apartments and when they were building an adjoining apartment a couple of years ago and they were excavating uh, the land it was all sand and I thought wow that's really interesting because if you were to ask any Sydney cider what kind of quality of soil or whatever was beneath the houses they'd probably say clay or soil. They would never say sand because it's two or three kilometres from the beach. But what that tells us is that we also have spirit of place and place holds story through time. And I told an Aboriginal person about this, and as is in the way of First Nations peoples, they ask you questions so you have to think about it and find the answer for yourself. And basically she said, well, what do you think was happening at the crossroads? The fact that so many cars and people meet at that place. What do you think is happening so that you were able to slip through time? And, of course, then I realised there was actually some sort of doorway or vortex. But more than that, the, the spirit of these places actually holds our story through time. And this is an aspect of fairy law too that we often don't talk about, which I look at in the book. And that is that we can access story of place sometimes. And I was in the Highland a number of, Highlands a number of years back. My dad is Scottish and he comes from the lowlands where I'd been many times, but I'd never been up to the highlands. And we were in quite a remote place, walking through the mountains, just strolling, not doing anything, you know, not trying to connect. And suddenly I saw like video clips, all the awful things that had taken place in that area to do with the English, you know, who colonised Scotland. And it was pretty, pretty brutal for a few centuries. The land revealed its story to me in a series of video clips in my head. Mm. And then later, I confirmed that through looking up the history of it. So these places of power, nourished by the spirit of place there, 
the caretaker of that place also holds the story of that place through time. And when it's appropriate and when it's useful to us for our healing or for wisdom or for our understanding, it's like the veil is peeled back and a little bit of that story is revealed to us, Jeff. Now, I've been looking at this the entire time, and that is that dragon behind you. What is your take on dragons? Well, I think dragons, uh, I give a mystical explanation in the book. Dragons are very much to do with the power of the land, the ley lines of the land. And we see this in all sorts of cultures that it is to do with that wonderful moving of the spirits um, of, of the land, you know, the healing forces through the land. Um, what, what I joined the dots on, and it was actually in your beautiful museum of the Native American in Washington, um, was that in ancient times we didn't... Uh, Native peoples um, would gather precious stones, emeralds, sapphires, amethysts, etc. As do Indian people even to this day. I'm talking about Indian people in India, not the Native Americans, although they would do too as shamanic cultures. They gathered these stones not for monetary value, but for their vibrations and healing value. And that was why they were so precious. And, of course, we distorted that into something else. Why do I mention this? Because dragons in all our folklore gathered up troves of precious stones. So what were they doing? Were they holding onto the healing energy and power of those possibilities? for themselves and the land. I suspect so. Interestingly, I was talking to a Buddhist friend who's lived in India a long time, and she's a Tibetan Buddhist, and one of her Rinpoches, who's from Mongolia, admits to having seen dragons, actually physically seen them kind of interdimensionally. Mm-hmm which I find fascinating. For me, they are the power of the ancient world and and of knowledge that we've let go of, that is to be retrieved. So that's why I love the dragons. They are very strong in Chinese culture. Um, You know, when one's in Singapore or China, or any of those other cultures where there has been that Chinese influence. Um, I notice when friends and neighbours come in who of that heritage, they are de- they are literally delighted to see because I've got two or three dragons in the house. It fills them with delight. I think a conclusion of your book is that we need to return to a profound connection with nature. Yes, absolutely, Jeff. And in doing that, we connect in to a far more profound connection with others. 
And that is what, it's that impulse that um, has spurred me on to be a social researcher and to write books on contemporary issues, including the less pretty ones such as pornography and, you know, a lot of the other things that our young people are dealing with about loneliness and, and various things. Um, so it's about, I think it's a threefold thing, Jeff, for us, or perhaps four actually. First, it's about a reconnection with our authentic selves, who we are and what the unique gifts we have to bring to the planet, not what others feel we should be doing. Secondly, a reconnection with those around us and 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 a comfort with difference, those who are very different from us, and a reconnection with nature and the web of life. And the fourth is to the spirit of our place, wherever we live right now. How can we love and enhance the spirit of that place that nourishes us in our gardens, in our connections with neighbours and shopkeepers, in caring for that community around us, how can we nourish that? And I think if we can do those four things, then we, we fulfill our end of the bargain. And I believe we're far more likely to connect in with the spirit of all things and to have communication with them because I think a respect develops for us to the spirit of these things and the spirit of all these things, whether it be places or plants or trees or cacti or stones, has a greater respect for what we're doing and is more willing to share the wisdom and the healing that is available to us. Maggie, I'm going to switch gears with you. If we yes. wanted to learn more about this book or any of your other books, would we do that from Amazon? Yes, certainly the fairy book is um, available on Amazon across the world. Um, my other books are available in different uh, parts of the world and they're probably best to your lovely listeners, are probably best to head to my website, which is the www.maggiehamilton.org. If people want to reach out to you and ask you questions, are you up for that? I would love that. And if they could e email me simply, and I'd love questions, I'd love to hear about people's experiences, um, a, an experience they might want some help in understanding, I'd be just so thrilled to hear from them. And that's contact at maggiehamilton.org. Maggie, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes. There's a lot happening in the world that at the moment to worry us, to make us fearful. But behind that are everyday miracles of connection, of healing, of possibilities. Get outside, spend time in your local park, breathe in the fresh air, take in the colours, take in the textures and see what possibilities await you with that. Maggie, thank you for that message, and thank you again for joining me today. I really appreciate you, and I wish you the best. And you too, Jeff. Thank you for this beautiful space you hold for everybody, looking at topics that are really important that 
are often hard to find out about. So thank you.